don't want this to come across um, as insensitive or anything like that because obviously we go through phases in our life but growing up how important was being a father to yourself or was it just something that when you got married you thought okay now this is the next step Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. What's going on, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Voice. And today I'm very, very excited to kickstart another week. So I've been consistent now for two weeks in 2021 with an incredible guest and somebody who you may have actually heard of from our other podcast, The Black Country Blokes. So often I steal some guests if I think the guests are going to obviously bring value here to find your voice. And obviously we do that vice versa as well. But what I feel at least is going to be really important for this episode is one is off the back of Gurinder's episode where she bravely spoke about something that I think really really helps so many of the listeners of this show and this time we're going to get the male perspective as well so rather than actually ruin it let's get into the guest Tristan welcome to the show thank you so much for coming on today how are we doing today I'm very good thanks thanks for inviting me on it's uh, yeah fantastic to be here um so yeah, so we met uh, as you know as you mentioned on this black country blokes and the reason I was on there was that I've started up this new um, Instagram account where I talk about some of the issues I've faced around anxiety. Um, so I talk about my experiences around anxiety to kind of help people that may be in a similar kind of boat um, to dispel some of the stigma attached to uh, anxiety and mental health issues. And then almost talking about it, helping myself um really because i know at the moment with different things going on um sometimes i feel like some of the anxiety can sometimes creep back so i was on the black country boats mainly talking about that but i know when we were talking on there um we mentioned miscarriages and i was talking about you know sort of saying um how my anxiety has never really gone away and it gets triggered again sometimes by uh you know different events in my life and one of those most recent events that kind of triggered back and brought a lot of those kind of you know feelings relating to my anxiety was around uh me and my wife uh, having a series of miscarriages and yeah it was you know it's always difficult to talk about but i think it's one of those things as you're saying um yeah, it's very much anxiety provoking and it, it it was really difficult to get through. And I think it's something that, as you say, it's often, you you know, you hear about the, the, from the perspective of the woman kind of thing. And it's not often that you get the chance to hear from other guys. And yeah, on the Black Country Blokes, we started talking about it. And I think it was a, yeah, it's a really valuable thing to start talking about i didn't i didn't go into sort of that much detail on it so now it could be an opportunity just to speak you know a bit more about it and just to sort of say to you know, other guys out there that may have experienced it or you know are about to have kids and you know maybe just wondering about things 
just to talk about it, you know, just to sort of lift that lid a little bit on something that, hate to say it, is still a bit of a tab- taboo, you know, around it. And I think definitely with what I'm doing around mental health and anxiety, I want to lift the taboo, I want to get rid of the stigma on that. And at the same time, if you can do something similar with, you know, talking about miscarriages, I think it's something that, you know, it needs to be a bit more out in the open and not, not really shied away from, despite it being a really, you know, difficult, difficult subject. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why it was, it was so great of you and so brave of you to actually mention that, obviously, on the Black Country Blokes podcast. I am finding connecting with people like yourself and obviously the guests on that show and this show is that we are making small strides. So it's nice to see people like yourself take that action and almost use that initiative to say, okay, I'm experiencing this, for example, anxiety. Maybe if I put this out there, somebody on the other side might read this and then not feel alone, which is absolutely kind of what I did with Find Your Voice, hence the whole name Find Your Voice. It was kind of me suffering with anxiety all my life, being the shy kid, struggling to put myself out there, thinking there's got to be somebody else like, like me out there. I can't be the only strange or weird one out there experiencing these kind of things. And the more I spoke about it, the more people actually resonated with how I actually behaved as well. So sometimes I had some behaviors that I often felt were were strange or weird. I'd almost kind of make plans and then on the actual day, I'd want to cancel it like there and then. Like all of a sudden, it, it just became too much being around people and stuff. And when people understood that actually it was, it was more my anxiety rather than the fact that I didn't want to be there, for example, it helped people understand me a little bit better. And I think this is one of the problems with mental health is we can't see a lot of the stuff. It's It's, again, it's not... A physical thing like a broken arm or a broken leg and this is why talking is so important so it'd be great to actually hear a little bit more about what it is and how you started that initiative about your instagram and stuff just for maybe anyone now listening who may want, want to follow that before we jump into the main part of the show if that's okay yeah of course no yeah thanks for the opportunity because i think that's that, that like you just said that's the reason i i, I started it. As, as i just mentioned earlier i've got these three reasons want to help people as much as I can, want to remove the stigma. And then part of it was just to help, help to stay on top of things myself because I suffered from anxiety for years and years when I was a teenager, from about the age of 12 to about 19. Managed to get some help. I was really lucky, saw some great people, got some help, but it's never gone away. It's always been there. All I do now at the moment is just manage it. I can manage it really well. And I haven't really spoken publicly about it too much and that's why i thought with this starting something on instagram i could do that i've got all this experience about it you know i've lived with it for you know over 20 years now and why not pass that on and i was thinking 20 years ago when i was really suffering it would be great to have someone out there who i could listen to who i could think wow i'm not alone here this person's been through it you know they know what they're talking about it give me a lot of comfort. And I was thinking, if I can do that for just one other person through, my, you know, uh, through this Instagram account, I'd be really happy. And I think at the moment, with the whole COVID thing, the lockdown, I think there's so many people out there suffering, and possibly suffering in silence. And as I say, you know, my main focus, I talk about anxiety because that was the big thing I faced. But it's not just about that. It can be on all sorts of things, depression, you know, eating disorders, whatever sort of mental issues people are facing, you know, 
I want to talk about that. I want to dispel this, this stigma and get rid of that. And I know part of that is, yeah, this miscarriage thing, you know, something that is, can be such a traumatic experience. It can really stay with you. It can have a really big effect on your life. It can affect you in so many ways, just make you feel so down, make you feel so um, almost worthless in a, lot, in a lot of ways. So I know that that is something that, yeah, in terms of mental health, it's something that can have a real, really big effect on people. So, yeah, that's definitely worth talking about. And, you know, as I say, even though my focus, yeah, really is on anxiety, this is a great opportunity to, to talk about something that, yeah, it had a massive effect on me and my wife. And, yeah, people need to know that they can talk about it, and especially guys. And I think this is it with the whole mental health thing. I know. And you know, you know, from black country blokes, especially with with guys, there's a real reticence to talk about this kind of stuff. I think talking about any feelings, um, a lot of guys have a bit of a problem with. And if I can, you know, say to people, it's okay to talk about it. It's all right to just get it off your chest. It's, yeah, you're not alone. Other people have gone through it. It's, it's okay to talk. And if I can do a bit of that, I think it'd be a really, really good thing. So, so that's yeah, that's that's yeah, that's where the the, the Instagram thing comes from, basically. You forgot to plug yourself in and let us know the Instagram page. So yeah, it's uh, at Speak Up on Anxiety. Take a look, tune in, see what see what you think. Thank you, thank you for that. So obviously, I'll put all of that in the show notes as well. I do encourage anyone to look at that because. As you were saying that, it actually took me back to my teenage years. So when I first recognised that I was quite shy, I was I was probably a natural introvert, and I was really struggling with anxiety, there was nowhere for me to look. So back in the day, and I'm talking 15, 16 years ago, on our mobile phones, the only thing you can do other than make a call and send a text was probably play a two-pixel game, like Snake or something. There was no Google. There was no ability to just instantly find out information. And if you wanted to find out information, we had the dial-up internet. And at that point, I think I was on, I was with AOL and I used to get 60 minutes a day. And that was it. That was kind of our threshold. Um, so it was very difficult. And plus, at that age, the last thing you're kind of doing is searching for stuff like anxiety, especially when you don't even know that it's a natural condition, for example. So most of the time, you're, you know, you're, you're wasting time on other stuff. And there just wasn't that that space or that element of hearing somebody else going through something that you can resonate with. And that's what I absolutely love with social media. So for all the things that I say are bad with social media, now we have the ability to share our voices for the for the good of humanity effectively. So somebody like yourself sharing it now, hopefully another 15 or 16 year old like ourselves can tune in and say, right, okay, that's what I'm going through and then learn from that. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And that's a testament to yourself for doing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And as I say, I'm almost, I almost create this from that kind of 15, 16 year old self. I was trapped in this world, didn't really know what was going on. You know, it was difficult to find answers and yet yeah, took, took over and just sort of having access to something that, you know, that reassurance that someone there just talking about the stuff that I'm going through would have been really, really beneficial. I almost feel like it's my obligation now, having gone through it and feeling comfortable enough to talk about it, 
to pass that on. You know, I think I, I've got a duty almost to pass it on to people. A for, yeah, just to help those people out. And to, as like a bit of a testament to the help that I've got. You know, there's a lot of people that really helped me, you know, seeing this therapist and the NHS. And I want to say a big thanks to them because they really helped me. And if I can point people in the right direction so they can get help, because there is help out there. You don't have to suffer in silence. You can get the help. And that's what I want to almost say. You know, don't be afraid. I know it was getting help for me was one of the scariest things I've ever had to do just to ask that help. Because sometimes when you're trapped in mental illness, as I say, it takes over your life almost completely. And you're so scared about getting help, not knowing what's going to happen, what people are going to say, whether you're going to get judged. It's terrifying. And if I could just say to people, you're all right, can almost hold their hand or give them, a, you know, give them the support or whatever they need, get that help. I think that'd be, you know, that's, that's a really good thing. So what, we, what we're all doing here, I think, is, is great. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I find that, and I say this sometimes on the episodes as well, is that sometimes finding your voice and the Find Your Voice podcast, it's almost a selfish pursuit for myself as well, because I gain so much from speaking as well. So uh, it, I, as much as it's, I feel like it's my obligation similar to yourself, and I really feel that as you're saying that, I also feel like this heals me as well, because I almost get to learn from other people's perspectives as well. And I always believe that we can always learn things. We can learn things by going through it ourselves, or sometimes we can learn it by looking at other people as well. And I'm, I'm kind of grateful now, and I never understood it before, but I, I am an empath by nature, and I never recognized what, what that was. But my ability to feel someone's pain, which is why sometimes I'm, on my episodes I do get quite emotional. But the benefit of that, although it's draining and, I, and I, I tend to not be able to do loads of episodes, is that I almost feel what that person's gone through to make me not want to go through it. And then I almost want to learn everything that they've done to try and mitigate that. And it, and it helps massively. So I think this is a perfect time now to segue towards the topic of miscarriages, if we may. I know it's a very, very sensitive subject. So by all means, go into as much information as you want. But if you could maybe take us back, maybe to like when it first happened. Yeah, cool. So, so yeah, a little bit about me. So I'm, I'm calling in from France um, because... Uh, what was it, five years ago, my uh, wife, she was my wife at the time, my girlfriend, we live in London, she got a job offer to come over and work in Switzerland. So we're right on the border here with Switzerland. So she got this amazing job offer, um, and basically this company that she's going to work for is going to move us over there, lock, stock and barrel, and thought, wow, what an amazing opportunity. We'd sort of we've been seeing each other for, yeah, couple of years, things were going really well. thought this would be an amazing adventure. So I quit my job. I was working for Ealing Council at the time in their policy department. Quit all that. Moved over. Um, and we planned to get married and this kind of thing. So it was all, you know, this amazing kind of experience. We, we come over here, brilliant place. think this is perfect. Unfortunately, I struggled to get a job kind of a bit because of the language barriers and different things and not much of a call for uh, local government officers over here in France, but it was all right because, you know, I was doing stuff around the house and, and different things. And, and I suppose part of that was thinking, well, we're going to get married. So we, we got married about six months after we moved here, um, came back home to get married. 
and we're thinking, you know, let's start a family. And if I don't end up getting a job, I could sort of play the part of, you know, looking after the kid at home and this kind of thing. So as you do, get married, amazing honeymoon, this kind of thing, and think, right, let's go for it. Let's start a family. And, uh, you know, again, amazing honeymoon. Things happen. Get back, and a couple of months later, yeah, uh, find out that my wife's, uh, you know, pregnant, really excited. Um, and then we go for the first uh, three-month scan, and unfortunately, yeah, we find out that it just hasn't sort of formed properly. So basically, yeah, that's that's the first one. That's the first, um, you know, yeah, miscarriage. Um, and yeah, just to just to get to the end. So we think, you know, first miscarriage. It often happens. Everyone's saying that you know it's something that happens. So we try again. Unfortunately, we have another miscarriage. Uh, this is about I don't know eight or nine months later, and it takes my wife a long time to sort of you know physically recover but you think well second time around yeah everything be fine and then we have another one and that's just you know that was probably the, the hardest the hardest one and I'll, I'll go into more details you know in a minute um and then so probably another eight months later or something we try for a third time and then we have a third miscarriage um and then from there we have some tests done, and we basically find out that we we can't have kids. That for both of us, for my wife, and she had some issues, and I had some issues. And apart from, uh, you know, having like an implanted egg and this kind of thing, we can't we can't have kids, you know, naturally. So three miscarriages in a row, and then this news being told that. You know, you can't have kids. So all these kind of, you know, dreams and ideas that we we had all kind of went out of the window. And yeah, it just it it just yeah, completely, completely throws you. And yeah, as I say, with the first one, you, you know, you sort of think, well, you know, you're always told that this is something that often happens, you know, it's you know. It's just one of those things. You think, oh, fair enough. But it's devastating, you know, that's not to say that it's not devastating. You've got, all, as I say, you've got all these ideas, all these plans. You start thinking about names and different things, and then it, 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 it happens. And, of course, you know, we found out after the, you know, the three-month sort of scan. And... You know, by that point, you haven't told everyone, but you told your close friends and family. And, you know, you go in there and, you know, you're so excited when, they, when they're sort of doing the scan, they do the whole um, ultrasound and, you know, you're holding your wife's hand. And then, you know, you see the, um, the gynecologist, basically, they have a funny look on their face. They look a bit concerned. And, you know, you're there smiling away. You can't wait. You wait to hear that heartbeat. And, yeah, they look, they give you this weird look. 
and then they take a big sigh and they say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, there's, there's no heartbeat. And they know it's only like a, this tiny little thing that's like the size of a pea, but in your head, between you, you've, you've created that into a little person. You're already thinking, you know, about names and all these kind of things. And then just to, it wasn't the news almost. It was that first one. It was just that look that, you know, you know I could just tell that something was wrong. And then yet they started explaining it to you. And, yeah, it just sort of tears you apart there. But, you know, as, as, the, as the guy almost, you've got to, you feel like you've got to act in that kind of, way where you know that you think you've got to be there for your wife because you know it's her sort of belly that they're you know doing the scan on and so yeah so you kind of hold it together the gynecologist is talking to you telling you all these things and it's just passing through you know you, you can't hear anything almost and you know, my wife's then got to take these this sort of medicine that, you know, will pass what's already been created. So she's comes home and, you know, so she's, you know, not only in like, you know, mental sort of real stress and struggle, but also in lots of physical pain. And, you know, she's sat there on the, the sofa in all this kind of, yeah, physical pain and mental pain. And you're there, and you're just trying to, A, you're trying to make sense of everything. And it's this horrible feeling that there's nothing you can do. She's sat there, and she's, you know, in just absolute sort of bits, just crying and so much pain. And there's only so many cups of tea and hot water bottles you can get, get her. And you're trying to do everything you can to sort of make that pain go away, but you can't. And you know, this is the person you love and it was, you know, just married and all this kind of thing. And it was just so devastating to, to watch. So you've got to do that. And then at the same time, you've got to sort of deal with it yourself as well. And I remember like bringing up my, my parents and just, yeah, just bursting into, into tears, you know, talking about it because, you know, they, they're the ones that were, not that they said it, but they've got the, you know, expectation potentially having grandkids on the way. And I felt so, it was so difficult to sort of tell them. And again, you know, telling my wife's parents and wife's family, you know, it's so difficult to, to do. And, you know, of course they weren't disappointed. Well, they probably were disappointed, but they didn't, you know, they, they, they understood and they're really caring, but but just for yourself, when you know you assume they're going to have these expectations, grandkids, and all this kind of kind of thing, it it was yeah, really really difficult to do, and you you're just a bit lost, really. I mean, you you, you tell your you know everyone's so caring and understanding, but you speak to like say your your mates, and just a lot of the time it, it was just like yeah, you know, really sorry, and it just feels like just feels like a really lonely place yeah it's just completely devastating and yeah it's not good so the, you know that that was the first one and then when it happened for the second time was just 
you know, it was probably twice twice as bad because again, like like all these kind of things, you think, well, the first one, you know, these things happen. It's bound to happen the second time, and and the problem almost was that you get all your expectations built up because everyone's saying was so reassuring that don't worry, it was just a one-off. It's bound to happen this time. So you almost put even more hope in there. And then, you know, exactly the same thing, you know, it was the the first three-month scan. Um, I was terrified on the run-up. You know, it's meant to be this really joyous thing, but I couldn't help. I think, you know, because of my old anxiety and stuff, just being so nervous in that whole sort of run-up, really excited that it's happening again, you know, my wife's pregnant and this kind of thing, so excited. And then, but I couldn't help just being really, really nervous. And then for it to happen again, it was just all that kind of hope that you had was just completely dashed, you know, and it was, it was far worse. And, and knowing what you went through that first time, you know, seeing my wife there again going through exactly the same pain and, and, and sadness and shock was just, and, you know, all that feeling of helpless, helplessness really came back. But it was, it was worth, far worse. And I think people, you know, again, find it difficult to know what to say. First time around, you know, it's a bit like, oh, you know, it's, it, it will be fine next time. So there was, always gave you that bit of hope, but this time around, they're almost at a bit of a loss. It was really difficult to, to talk to people in a lot of ways. So it was a lot of, of course, you know, my wife was there, but when she's, you know, in such physical pain and hardship and, and really struggling herself, it's, you know, we, we, you know, we, we were really good together and, you know, found a lot of comfort with each other. But, yeah, it was still, you know, again, still you want to sort of try and be this strong person and sort of, you know, be strong for it, which I think I did to a bit, but that really takes it out of you. It really sort of, you know, grinds you down physically and, and, and mentally. So it was awful. And then I think for the third time, it was, yeah, I mean, it was just, it just became a bit sort of more clinical almost, which sounds really bad because it, it happened twice. I didn't want to be too involved. I just wanted to get over that first three-month scan kind of thing. So we didn't really give this one a name. We tried to be as sort of distant from it as you can, but you can't be. You know, you 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 still really you know invested in that, and it was, yeah, the same thing. To happen, you know, three times. It was just. Yeah, it just keeps on sort of knocking you down. And as I say, you had this whole idea, this whole sort of thing planned out, what we're we going to do, moved over to this new country and had all these plans. And it all just seemed to, you know, really fall apart a bit. And I, I never really felt up until that point, like really that far away. I mean, France is not that far away. Um, people are there on the end of the phone call or, you know, speak to them on, yeah, whatever you know, video calls and this kind of thing. But during that time, I just felt, felt I could have been, we could have been on the move. You know, we went back home and we saw family and friends, which was great. 
but not having that kind of immediate kind of thing, you know, where someone to, you know, your mom, dad to hug or go around and see, it really was even more difficult. And uh, yeah, uh, it was, yeah, so, so difficult to deal with, as I say, mentally and physically. And then finding out after these tests that we couldn't have kids at all, it was just kind of icing the cake, really. It really was. Kind of makes you feel a bit inadequate and a bit of a failure. And as much as you don't want to feel like that, you can't help kind of thinking, you know, especially when, uh, you know, so many of your friends and things are having kids and, and this kind of thing. You know, it sounds stupid to say, but you do feel like it's the one thing it should be able to do. And it was just really difficult seeing, you know, people out and about with kids and, you know, just knowing that that wasn't going to happen for us. And, you know, it's one of these things that was, yeah, one of the hardest things we've ever sort of done. I mean, I've got to say, it's, it's brought us together. My wife and I now are bulletproof. We've been through a lot of other stuff, but it's just made us so resilient. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 that was one thing that, you know, uh, it really did for us, but it was, I wouldn't want to wish it on on anyone. So it's, it's really difficult. And again, it's one of these kind of things that you don't really hear people talk too much about. Firstly, thank you so much for obviously sharing that. I, I can tell even, even now having, gone through that mm. a while ago it still probably brings up a lot of memories so i really really do appreciate that i have so many questions if i may and i'm trying to put myself in in the listeners shoes now so you had technically fallen pregnant both of you three times but then you were obviously told afterwards that you can't have children how was it possible that you were you were falling pregnant in the first instance I, again it might be a scientific question i'm just curious so I think it's because we're a bit, we're both a bit older. We're both uh, at the time we're sort of coming up to forty, and I think it's yeah. So we're able to, um, well, yeah, we we're able to come pregnant, but it just wouldn't get past a certain stage, basically, because I think it's you know something to do with the eggs and different things like that. I'm not really sure of the technical terms, but technically. And this is what they did say that you, you know, the, the person we spoke to, that you could keep on trying, but you could end up having, you know, it could be 10 miscarriages in a row, and then one may take, but the chances basically of it coming to a full term were pretty low. And then there's chances on top of that that if it did get past that kind of first stage, there may be problems later on, kind of thing. There may be sort of, defects and this kind of thing and I think we decided really that knowing how traumatic you know a miscarriage was we just thought you know just don't want to go through that again so as I say could get pregnant but the chances of it yeah having to relive all all those yeah. experiences again I, absolutely yeah and, and you mentioned something which I think is it's apparent and it's quite common in terms of the conversations we hear about miscarriages which is as a guy we almost feel that we now need to protect our wife even more and be there for her even more yet what we don't recognize is 
that we have also as a, as a man not not myself i'm speaking on behalf of men who have gone through this have experienced the same loss as well and i'm fully appreciative that the women have it the worst obviously there's something growing inside of them you mentioned having i'm not sure if it's medication or whatever it is they're taking in order to flush it out which even saying that term makes me kind of cringe it's it's not it's not the right term so i'm i say that respectfully but as a as a man as well I, I, I struggle to see how a man and a woman can't love that child the exact same. So I always feel, I'm always trying to advocate for the men in the world as well. I feel like we're just as important kind of thing. So I feel it's a common trait for a man to feel like I now need to protect my wife. And I think that's where a lot of the issues probably stem from because you're not you're not healing yourself. But I'm just so grateful that obviously hearing that you and your wife are so strong now, this is something that can potentially obviously shift people. And it can cause separation. So I think you've done a tremendous job in terms of not just supporting her, but then you mentioned therapy earlier, which I've just noted. And I think for any guy listening now, I'm not sure if your therapy was in relation to that or whether it was it was anxiety, but there are people out there who can have these conversations with you that can help you heal and go through this sort of stuff. So thank you for obviously sharing that. And then I wanted to touch on people's expectations as well. So especially in the Asian community, so um it's it's almost like a tick list. So growing up as an Asian, it's go get yourself a degree, go find a wife, get a house, go have kids. As if life is that simple. As if everything is just literally right, like playing a computer game and you just literally pass the levels. And and when I first heard Gurinder's episode, I tried to put it out there a lot because she, she was an Asian person as well, to let people know, of course, this, this isn't exclusive to Asians, but we have a very, very simple way of thinking that you should just be able to have kids and often although it com- comes from a place of love when parents are, or even friends ask oh when are you guys having kids they don't actually think about can this person actually have kids for starters have they been trying for, for god knows how long have they had miscarriages and this is one of the reasons i really wanted this conversation on here is because we need to be a little bit more sympathetic and just maybe bite our tongue on conversations that are so personal that makes sense. So I just wanted to add to that as well, because I think that is something that we don't, it's almost just like a new thing. Somebody gets married and you're like, oh, so when's the kids coming in? If that person's going through what you and your wife have gone through, my God, I can't, I can't even imagine how you guys must have felt in that. Um, and you mentioned briefly as well about how when your friends will say, um, I'm sorry. And I, and I kind of knew what you meant there because sometimes when you're go when you've gone through something, for example, if I have experienced grief and somebody says I'm sorry, they're not saying sorry how I expect them to say sorry. I almost feel like you're not feeling how I'm feeling, and then all of a sudden I have a bit of animosity towards them, even though they meant that sincerely as well because they haven't experienced it. And I I kind of relate this to that to that notion of if somebody, for example, breaks their nose or they've they've caught a cold, and you're like you almost sympathize a little bit for him but then the moment you break a bone in your body or you have fever the next week you instantly feel what that person went through and sometimes we need to kind of try and put ourselves in people's shoes to be a little bit more empathetic um but i'm sure obviously as much as you felt alone they they obviously did care and then finally the last point and then i want to take it over to yourself is the part about feeling like a failure and you said and you said something about how this is something biology tells us, history tells us that we should just be able to do. And I put that in commas, you know, a, a man and a woman should be able to, to to have children. And I can only 
again, I, have, I haven't been through this experience, but I, I sympathize so much for, for that. And I, I don't have the right words in order to change how you must have felt. But how did you overcome that? How did you realize that actually you're not a failure? And this is just something that it just happens because prior to the show, I was doing a bit of research and okay, it's not the most common thing in the world, but I think it was something like one in eight couples are unable to actually have children. And when you think about it, I mean, we've all probably got groups of circles, 15 to 20 people. That's probably two people, two sets of people within that who potentially can't have children. And that's, that's quite a lot when, when, you, when you think about it. So how, how did you manage that? If we can jump on that, please. You know, I think it's just something, you, you know, that we just had to come to terms with. It took a lot of doing. But sort of accepting the fact that, you know, we just can't have kids. And it takes a lot to get your head around. But it's, it's just one of those things. It's a really harsh thing. And it's terrible. And it's awful. And I still get upset thinking about it now. But it's just, that's it. You know, we just can't have kids. It's just one of those kind of things that, you know, if you, if you lose your legs, kind of thing you're not going to you know your legs aren't going to grow back you just have to accept that and I think that's just what we had to do and I think for me I just had to go to that you know like a really dark place sink to the bottom think of all those kind of um, dreams hopes I had you know having kids seeing them grow up go to university and all these kind of things and just let them go and just think, I'm sorry, you know, it's just not, it's not going to happen. And it was like, um, you know, putting my hand in like a fire or something. It was just something that I had to do it. I just had to have, and I think my wife probably, you know, did, did the same. It's just something that you just, I had to do just to experience that pain. And get it over and done with and just accept it's it's not going to happen. Otherwise, we just have spent all our lives just having it there, just this thought, what if, if only we try try again. And it never helped that people would always say, oh, there's always different ways you can do this. There's always hope and this kind of thing. And I had to put that out of my head and say, no, there's not. And even if, as I say, there is... We could probably have kept on trying, had like 10, 15 miscarriages, but one may have worked. And we could have, you know, technically, it would still be kind of possible. But I thought, no, we're not going to put ourselves through that. It's just something that we have to draw a line in and accept. And as I say, it's like easier than said than done, but it, it is almost like putting your hand in that fire, but knowing that that's what you've got to do. You've got to experience that pain. And once you do, you know, then you can sort of see kids playing around or see adverts on TV for a clear blue pregnancy test and not feel that kind of pang of, of whatever it is. I mean, I, I still do sometimes, but nine times out of ten now, I kind of, because I've accepted it, you know, it's, it, it, it's you know, it's, it's doable, but just going back to what you say about these expectations and, and seeing things on TV, it's just everything you see, it's like kids having kids. And as you say, it seems like the most simple thing in the world, you know, and it is, it is in theory. But 
sometimes, yeah, it just doesn't happen. But everywhere you see, the whole of society is geared up, have kids, have a family, everything's geared up for that almost. And, you know, it's so strange when you, you know, you find yourself outside that. When you try it, you feel like you're part of this whole kind of, you know, club or you're going forward, you you know, you're going to win and all this kind of thing, you're going to get the kids. And then when it doesn't happen, you do feel a bit sort of excludery because everywhere you're just surrounded by it. And I think that was one of the most difficult things. We were almost so angry afterwards, or I, I really was, about just recognising how much it shoved down your, down your throat almost. You don't notice it so much before, but when it's something that you can't have, I suppose it's like with everything, you really do start to, to notice it. So. Just on that, if I, if I may ask, and I don't want this to come across um, as insensitive or anything like that, because obviously we go through phases in our life, but growing up, how important was being a father to yourself? Or was it just something that when you got married, you thought, okay, now this is the next step? Yeah, I think that was it. I think for me, I always expected if I get married, we'll have kids. You know, I always wanted to meet the right girl, and I did. Um, and yeah, we met later on didn't meet too early you know i'm sure it'd be a completely different story if we'd met 20 years ago but again it's this idea that yeah you can have kids when you're older it's fine you get this impression that it doesn't really matter that you don't have to be you know young you can be a bit older you can do your career first and then you know do this so yeah it took a bit of time to meet the right girl but i always thought yeah get married and then have kids start the family and and this kind of thing but it just doesn't work out like that sometimes. Thank you for sharing that. I just two more questions on on, on this, if I may. Um, so, I want to talk about blame when 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 this was happening. Be that either between yourselves, and this isn't to get personal, but I'm trying to think about other couples. For example, I think I think you briefly mentioned that there was complications on both sides, but I can imagine if there was complications just on the one side, there would be some element of blame either that person blaming themselves, either subconsciously, the other person, without the complications, blaming that person, um, and just living with that. So is that something that you experience? Is that something that maybe somebody listening may be able to get your perspective on? I don't think it's not something that that we really experience. As I say, there's issues on the two sides. And I think when we're going through the kind of miscarriages, I think we took it as like, it takes two to tango, basically. We're in this together, we're a team. And I think... If you, if, you, if you allow that kind of thing to creep in, I think you're just asking for, for trouble. I think it sounds corny, but going back to, you know, like the vows that are made just before we, we started going out there to stick together. And I think you've, you've got to go down that route. You know, we agreed that we were a team when we got married and it's our kind of agreement. And that's, that's the kind of approach that we took to this. And I think... I can imagine maybe some people, you know, if one side really wants kids and the other person's not so much into it, I can see how blame could develop. I think with everything, we always want someone to blame. But sometimes you've just got to accept that, you know, you've got to put it on yourselves. There's some things that you just can't blame and you can't blame that other person. You know, you've just got to... You know, it, it's really difficult to do, but you just have to put your hands up and go, yeah, that's it, you know, it, it's on us. 
I love that, and and I love going back to the whole. You you started as a, as a team, and you will end your journey together as a team as well. In terms of how you did it, so like, I love that, and and that in itself, just segueing ever so slightly, is a blessing as well. There are so many people out there who don't find that partner that they can literally go through the toughest times and actually come out stronger as well. So I'm I'm so glad hearing that how close you are it gives me confidence because my, me and my wife are like best friends as well and if we ever have to go through any sort of adversities and stuff i'd love to be able to hang on to the hope that we could be like yourselves in terms of being being strong um the final question i wanted to ask you my friend is have you ever thought about fostering or adoption or is it now just something that you've so i think yeah it's definitely something that's still in the back of my head i think there's always that kind of option and i think yeah we, we are completely open to that and i've got to say you know it's been a couple of years now and part of me thinks maybe it's because the rational part of me is coming in now and i've kind of accepted we can't have kids there's so many kids out there that are needy so many kids out there that poor suffering this kind of thing and i you know i wonder whether really it was would have been such a good thing for us to bring another life into the world when there's so many others out there that you know are just as needy and who don't have parents that you know at some point yeah that we could sort of get into this adoption thing and once you start to see it with a bit more sort of with distance almost i think we could just do as you know as much good maybe at some point in the future adopting a kid or fostering a kid or something like that we can you know be just as good parents we can fulfill this kind of I don't know, whatever it is, uh, need to do something good by having kids, by helping out others, basically. So it's not like, because I know a lot of people, you know, when you find out you can't have kids, that's it. It's like, you know, what you do, what's your life's purpose, really, you can't sort of do anything. And it doesn't have to be like that. There's others you can help, you can adopt, you can yeah, foster and this kind of thing not saying that you have to right away or this kind of thing and i don't think we will for a few years maybe but you can help you can still play your part we've got you know nieces and nephews that we can you know play a bigger role in their lives and this kind of thing so it doesn't have to just because we can't have kids you know our love for you know kids and stuff doesn't have to stop there we can still contribute if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. Kind of absolutely. And, and I, I will just add to that, just um, some personal experience. So m- my family foster children. Um, they've been fostering for 10 plus years now. And my younger sister's adopted as well. And I think growing up, I'd always assume that you can't love somebody more than your blood relatives, for example. So hand on my heart, there is no difference between how I feel about my brother and my little sister. And and the same, funnily enough, is is with my foster siblings as well. So that then gives me confidence that if I had to become a parent, for example, I, I know what it's like being a sibling, that there is no difference. But if I had to be a parent, that you can still have that level of affection as as well for children as well. Yeah, totally, totally. So yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's so true. And I know that it could be so disheartening for, for a lot of people out there, but they're you know, it doesn't have to be that you have to get biologically pregnant to to really make a difference to a young person's life. So, you know. Well, well, thank thank you so much for um, obviously going down that kind of, you know, memory lane. I appreciate that. 
but I think it's definitely a conversation that that needs to be heard. I I was getting chills actually as, as you were saying that because I was almost reliving it through you. So it's a testament to yourself and, and bravery for sharing that. So thank you for that. Yeah, and I think just you know almost just to finish off, I think yeah, it's good. It's it's good to talk about it. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it, and I just want to re- reach out to other guys that may have experienced it. And again, a bit like I'm saying with the mental health stuff, that you don't have to sort of suffer in science there's loads of other people out there that experience it you may see like no one else is but as you say Aaron, earlier on it's a lot more common than you think you don't have to bottle it all up you know you're going to feel really bad you know no doubt it's awful but there's organizations that you can speak to there's other people out there that you can speak to and don't allow something like this to destroy your relationship or destroy a part of you because it really doesn't have to it can make you stronger ultimately in the end but ultimately though it's a really difficult time and the more you let people know how you're feeling the better off the easier it is for you to be able to cope with what you what you're going through so it's just a a big shout out to anyone out there. You know, I feel your pain. It's awful, but you will get through it. And don't be afraid to speak to other people. That's, that's a beautiful message. Thank you so much for that as well. But I'm not going to let you go just yet because I do have two questions just to end the show. And this is this is back to the Find Your Voice format. So if you could go back to a younger self, maybe in your teenage years or at a time where anxiety wasn't something that necessarily you knew about, and you could whisper something in your ears, knowing everything that you know now, what advice would you give? I don't think I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say, you know, try and give the game away. I think I would be, it's going to be tough, but it's going to make you stronger. Life is a big challenge, but at the same time, it's an awfully big adventure. You, you said you don't want to give the game away. It's almost as if, you're happy with how everything has kind of turned out as well. Yeah, I think that's the thing, ultimately. All these things that I've been through, like, you know, I could say about with the, the, you know, the whole pregnancy thing, I wish I had met someone who had kids before. But if that happened, I wouldn't have met my wife now. And she's the best thing that's ever happened. And I wouldn't want to have had kids with someone else 20 years ago. Yeah, I'd love to have had kids with my wife, but... There's no way I'd have met her if I hadn't gone through all the things that I've been through now, all the anxiety, all the different things, the ex-girlfriends, the different things. It's all led me to this point. And all those kind of challenges and different things have made me who I am. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with who I am in a lot of ways. And, you know, if I hadn't done something, maybe it'd been a lot worse off. So I wouldn't have given the game away. I'd just say, yeah. I love that. And 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 you touched on a brilliant point there. Um, it was actually um, beautifully said as well about, about your wife. And many of us who have who are fortunate enough to have that partner in our lives, we would see it as the best thing in our lives. Yet it's very easy if something goes a little haywire or we go through some adversity to forget that we already have the best thing in our life. And sometimes chasing something else, we often forget that. And I think that's a beautiful way that you've almost come full circle to recognize, well, actually, I still have the best thing in my life. And, you know, 
that's all I wish. I wish you guys so much happiness. I can, I can see how how much she makes you, how she makes you feel. So uh, hopefully you make her feel the same as well, mate. Which I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you do, mate. I'm sure you do. And the final question then is, it's about legacies. And I'm sure you're going to have an absolutely incredible one, especially now that you're putting yourself out there as well, sharing your messages. If in 150 years time, science fails to save us, and all that exists is a book. Now, this book is about you. It's about your life, that we haven't changed. Everything that you've done, good, bad, and all the amazing things you're going to do. Firstly, what I want to know is, what would the title of this book be? And secondly, what would the summary at the back tell the listener about you to entice them to pick it up? title uh no instead it was going to be easy and i say that because life isn't easy it's full of challenges it's full of hardships and sometimes you have to go through these things to get the best out of life you know you could live the longest life you wanted in a little box you could sit there in a little box not doing a thing and you could probably have a wonderful, you know, long life, you know, have a TV in there or something, not doing a thing, not taking any risks. You know, you'll live for, you know, decades. But sometimes you've got to go out there, take, take up the challenge, take up, you know, um, accept the hardships. And that's going to make you who you are. It's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a healthier person. So I think... That's, that's explaining the title of the book. What it would say uh, to entice people in, uh, I'd say it's something like, I've done some things, I've lived a life, learn from my mistakes, learn from the challenges I've overcome and use that to make you a better person. I don't know, it sounds like one of these crazy self-help books. No, no, that, that's great. That's fine. I, and I think the title as well, no one said it's going to be easy as well, is really, really important. Um, a, again, it's one of those things. Growing up, you don't think that life is going to be this difficult. And I remember being a child, you almost want to grow up really quickly. And then you hear the adults respond back and say, trust me, you are now having the best few years of your life. And you never quite understand it until you get older. And then you're realizing that adversity and challenges and obstacles, they hit us every single day. And I think... One of the things I want to try and do, especially with this show, and we try and do it with the Black Country Blokes, is expose people to more stories like this so that when they do hit that obstacle, there is a Tristan out there they can reach out to, or there is a Gorinda, for example, they can reach out to. And that's all it's about. So I fully appreciate this is quite a niche-specific subject, but again, we touched on it, one in eight people. If every single one of those eight couples, for example, um, one person, for example, had access to somebody like yourself or just the ability to hear your story, that perspective and stay strong and then recognize they may already have the best thing in their life and there's other possibilities out there. I think it will help them persevere and go go forward. And that's all we're really trying to do on this show. So final thing I want to ask you is, is there anything you wish I had asked you today that maybe you want to leave the audience with? I suppose it's just to say really, again, reiterate that point that miscarriage, yeah, it's not just a physical thing. It's a big mental thing as well. I know that, you know, I talk about mental health issues and stuff, and I think it's definitely tied in there. And I think it's amazing, you know, the kind of impact that it can have physically and mentally, but I think mentally can be one of the biggest, biggest ones. And I think it's just saying that, yeah, it's a really big challenge, but it's 
doesn't have to be, and it can make you stronger in the end. So yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I particularly answer your question there. No, no, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. And where is the best place that people can follow you and people can connect with you? So so yeah, so it's on uh, Instagram. It's uh, speak up on anxiety. Um, I put a new video up there every week, and if anyone wants to talk about anything just drop me a kind of a message on that but yeah find me on you know instagram and yeah i love it want to just help basically thank you tristan from the other side well i've uh, i was going to say continent then but you're still in europe just the other side of the shores and for everyone else at home thank you so much for listening and remember this podcast is absolutely free so all we ask in return is for you to share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on itunes have an awesome day